The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? It's From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Good morning, Boston. This is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston, but I am the host of the Boston Podcast. The city's only Monday through Friday daily podcast that I know of. And however, my guest, who is uh, attorney Jeff Catalano, welcome to the show, Jeff. Hi, David. I know you listen to a podcast or two. Do you know of another daily podcast in Boston, like Monday through Friday, that is independent and not connected with any evil conglomerate? <laughs> no? Uh, Maybe. You know, I, I listen to a bunch of podcasts. I don't know what's connected and what's not connected, but I yeah. listen to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Is that yeah. connected? That's not, well, first of all, that's not weekly. Uh, daily, pardon me. Oh, daily. daily. You want yeah. daily. Okay, I'm so daily. I listen to the... I'm very tired. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I listen to the Daily, which is the New York Times one. Okay, so lot. that's a daily podcast. Yeah. Yes, and that's a good yeah. one, but again, connected with the big... Like, I'm, I'm, we're, we're a little feisty, upstart uh, Boston Podcast Network uh, right here in Westwood, Massachusetts, by cool. the way. Come visit our studios. What do you think, Jeff? You're here for the first time. I like it. I dig yeah. it. It's very high-tech. Yeah, it's it. Well, it's a combination of high tech and homey, I guess. Yeah. You know, we uh, we gave the the office a paint job, and we've got more whiteboards in here than you can shake a stick at. And the Ron Burgundy uh, bobblehead doll, I think, mm. really ties the room mm. together. Do it's you a, think? It's a, yeah, it's an intimidating stare that he's giving me, but <laughs> it's okay. Well, I can handle it. Now he's shaking his head at you because <laughs> I shook the desk. Uh, Jeff is the ma- you still the managing partner over at Todd and Weld? Oh no, I'm just no. The, uh, oh, don't tell Chris Weld. Oh, okay, yeah, sorry. I'll, I'll be fired tomorrow. No, I am the head Chris of Chris Weld is the is the, is the managing partner. partner. Oh, okay, Correct. sorry about that, Chris. No, no, I'm sure you won't mind. But I am the. This is for me. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. I'm the head of the. Uh, I guess we'll call it the tort practice area. How's that? The what? The tort. Practice, tort, tort practice, which okay. is personal injury medical malpractice. There you go. So just a medical malpractice lawyer. So when something goes awry in an operation, in a hospital or such, mm-hmm. and uh, he helps people get what is right after that thing goes wrong. That's that's my uh, two-year-old explanation. But um, just also an awesome guy, very well-connected, former president of the Massachusetts Bar Association. Um, he played shortstop for the New York Mets from 1969 to 1976. Yes. One of those things isn't true. You can guess. Uh, you can guess later, but I um, uh, want to hear all of uh, Jeff's stories. We got some cool stuff to talk to, and then later in the show, we're going to tell you uh, another podcast that I don't produce. There are a few that I don't produce that uh, you should be listening to, and we're just going to have fun. Talk a little what you should be binging TV during this th- during the summer because Jeff, um, unlike some lawyers, is actually a fun guy. Is that fair to say? Very fair to say. I'd agree with that one hundred percent. Okay, it helps. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am a fun guy. Wait, hold on. If you if you if you say it with the Benny Hill theme behind you. Now, Jeff, are you a fun guy? I'm a fun guy. There we go. We got two fun guys here today on the Boston Podcast, which, by the way, is sponsored by the U.S. Postal Service, the second largest employer. Sorry, second largest employer in the United States, offering paid training and ways to move up. Apply today at usps.com/careers. The U.S. Postal Service deliver. For the nation, you ever mail anything? Jeff? Yeah, I still yeah. do that yeah. once in a while. 
It's, yeah. <laughs> it's what people say. You, typically, when I tell them about our sponsors, they say, you know what I did the other day? I went down to the post office and I mailed something. <laughs> and the funny thing is, like, it, like it's a novelty. Uh, you, uh, Postal Service has stuck around despite, you know, massive competition. Mm. Um, but there is something kind of charming, I think, about going down to the post office. You know, you might see someone you know. You mail something. Yeah, they're, then, very, they're very happy to see you there. They are. They're, yeah. they, they want more people coming in. I think, I think that's right. Yeah. I think that's right. So let's let's talk about what you do. Um, now, uh, there are cynics out there, Jeff. There are cynics out there that say, you know, the, the there are um, many lawyers who are sort of in it for, you know, self... Uh, a grandis what's the word? A grandismus? Uh, what is that word? Close enough. You and I should between the education between us we should know that word. Aggrandize. That's a word. Mm-hmm. Ah, we'll look that up later. Wait, hold on. Let's ask ask Alexa. See if she's good for something. First let's turn her up. Alexa, volume nine. Okay, now she's turned up. All right. Alexa, what does aggrandize mean? Come on. The verb aggrandize is usually defined as to widen in scope, increase in size or intensity, mm. enlarge, extend. For more Ask me to give you more definitions no. for aggrandize. No, no, I don't think we want more, do we? No. Although th- I'm not that sure. I'm not sure that's the definition. I'm just more confused, which is typically what happens when I talk to her. <laughs> um, or in it for the money is, is kind of where I was going. Mm-hmm. And and you you do practice a type of law uh, for those unfamiliar that um, your success is based on your client successes. Now you tell me if I've got that right or not. I'm talking about contingent fee mm-hmm. and the sort of uh, you know what um, the layperson might call the sort of Aaron Brockovich type cases where you'll, mm-hmm. you'll take it on, but at risk to yourself. And so, tell me about that. Right. Yeah. So contingent fee means that I only get paid if I get a successful result from my clients, uh, mm-hmm. and then it's a percentage of whatever result we are able to get, either through settlement or through trial. But before you are able to get a settlement or trial, of course, uh, the attorney and me is responsible for. All the expenses in the case so you know the experts in a medical malpractice case this can be tens of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. um you know various demonstrative aids animations you you know things like that so um it's a it's high stakes poker is how i call it you know yeah. you have to there's a big buy-in um yes uh you know in certain circumstances um you can do extremely well and i'm happy and proud of the, of the results and settlements i've had but i'm also very honest to say that uh, I've lost my sh- fair share of cases, and any lawyer who does medical malpractice who says they've never lost a case is lying. Yeah. Um, it's it's a challenging business. People, lawyers are, lawyers used to say, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. lawyers used to say you lose, uh, if you go to trial, you lose like 8 out of 10 or 9 out of 10. Is that still a thing? Or Oh, my record's so much better than that. Well, I'm sure it is, <laughs> but just no, by, no, the, by the math... It, uh, tell me, because I think it was something that lawyers would tell their clients to really set their expectations, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, it's true. I mean, statistically speaking, in Massachusetts, and it's probably true across the country, doctors win approximately 90% of all cases they that really go to do. trial. Yeah. Now, the reason I'm in business um, is because we settle the majority of our cases. I mean, okay. You know, there's this old saying that you know you've picked the wrong case if at some point you hear yourself saying these words, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. <laughs> so you want to settle these cases. You don't want to go to trial. Now, isn't it isn't that kind of a shame? Because don't you get into it to try the cases? Well, listen, I love trying cases, and you know I enjoy the thrill of the, of being in trial. And I have had a good number of successes. Uh, most recently, you know, one of the larger verdicts. Uh, I think it was the largest med mal verdict of 2017. 
and that's very thrilling. But um, mm. there's a lot riding, and you know what? It's also your plaintiff, your client's emotions are riding on this, and yeah. they're exposed. They're on the stand. These are people, regular everyday people, and mm. they're put on the stand. They're cross-examined, and they are challenged, right, by the other attorney. That's their job. I'm not faulting them, but mm. the doctor, the attorneys who represent the doctors, have to try to discredit the claim. They have to try to impeach the witness. And here's someone who's suffered a tragedy of some kind, and now they're kind of exposing themselves to 14 people, jurors, yeah. and a judge, black robe, sitting to her, his or her immediate left, you know, five feet higher, and they're being challenged. Um, the things that an attorney might do to them would be to expose why they might have delayed getting medical treatment or why, why they weren't more aggressive about their own care. And this can be a very traumatic experience for people. I love trying cases, but I always take into consideration the impact uh, that it may have on my client. So if a reasonable settlement is on the table, um, it makes sense to take all that into consideration before rejecting it because so, you don't want to take chances. And the, the client, what you're describing sounds like it could be a like house of horrors situation for the client. In other words, they get in there, you know, perhaps, um, you know, with some trepidation to tell their story, but, but maybe really wanting to tell their story because it's like, you know, once and for all, I want people to know what happened to me and what went wrong. Uh, and then you've got the mm -hmm. defense attorney whose very job it is to, to poke holes. Right. And, and the client, I take it, may not fully appreciate that or maybe not a fully appreciate how, like, why is this person... You know, standing here in public, basically berating me and 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 suggesting that I'm a liar. Right? How do you right. prepare clients for that? So that's a great question. So um, we actually do um, some mock cross examinations in our in our oh, yeah. firm, and I try not to do it myself because, importantly, David, the client has to trust me. Mm -hmm. And if I start cross examining my own client, they start to think that I'm betraying them in some way. So I'll bring someone else in. I think from you're our insane firm. or that two faced <laughs> schizophrenic. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what I do is I bring in um, someone else from my firm, Owen Todd, whom I think you know. Oh, yeah. Um, senior attorney, former judge. Um, he's done everything. And he'll come in and he'll do the cross-examination because I want my client to see and be prepared for what's coming. And I will tell you, as hard as that is in my office, it really prepares them for what's coming so that when they get to trial and that line of questioning comes at them, they say, oh, I know what to do with this one. I'm prepared for this. Yeah. And it gives them a sense of confidence. Yeah, and maybe they don't take it as personally. You know, they realize, you know, well, this is part of the process, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, my favorite, I don't know if it's my favorite Owen Todd story, because there are so many, oh. as you know. So for those that don't know Owen, who's longtime colleague at Jeff's here, but was um, a former judge and just kind of the really... Uh, brilliant, like uh, genteel type, old school lawyers mm. and judge, and he's judge, of course, and just kind of a real gentleman. Um, when I was at Lawyers Weekly, he sent me this appeals court decision that was written by Judge Rudy Cass, and Rudy Cass back in the day was one of the like sharpest wits on the court. You don't have a lot of opportunities to make jokes and little funny inside references in appeals court decisions, but Cass managed to do it. And so he said in one of his decisions that had nothing to do with Owen, it said, we need not approach this matter with the rigidity of a barren park, comma, however, blah, blah, blah. So Owen like, circles this and sends me the decision. I'm just the reporter at Lawyers Weekly and says, I think he wrote, like, who the hell is Barron Park? And, and so, <laughs> and so he, it was like worth 
investigating. Now, it's not worth investigating for any big matter of public yeah. interest. It was just a curiosity. And Judge Cass, so I ended up writing a column about it. And because back then, it was kind of in the infancy of the Internet. So I don't know if I had the ability of just, go these days, we would just Google Baron Park and find out who he was. But as it, but so the 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 column imagined me as like a gumshoe, you know, investigator trying to track down this Baron Park and like you know, and uh, Owen was like such a good, um, such a good sport about it. So uh, mm -hmm. now I, I got curious again, so I looked it up. Uh, Baron Park um, was an actual Baron named James mm -hmm. Park, who, uh, thank you Wikipedia, yes, was a British barrister and judge. And uh, although not a particularly distinguished barrister, this is, but he died in 1868. He'll be missed. So he was that's a, not an obscure reference at all. No, 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 right. Okay. So I'm sure Judge Cass was personal friends with this. <laughs> um, let's see. Early life and education. Personally, blah, 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 blah. there's nothing in here about what the. One of the greatest English judges. Oh, here it is. Um, he was criticized for being too respectful of authority and unwilling to overturn precedent. He was accused of being dedicated to the form of the law rather than to the substance. And, uh, you know, this was interesting I, when I brought it up, and now it's gone horribly awry, Jeff. So um, <laughs> thanks for listening to the Boston Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed all the hijinks and misadventures of Jeff and I. Just kidding. Um, so <laughs> you mentioned in two years ago you had um, one of the top verdicts in the state, and congratulations on that. Thank you. Tell us what kind of case that actually was that i'll just ask you was that the case that you and i were were talking about before we started recording or is yeah. it a different one yeah, it no, is the, the very one okay that's the one yeah so what was the that you're not one to brag but what was the what, what did the jury come back with what was the the verdict well listen i'm no baron park you're no but <laughs> but but i will tell you that i had a great team in place and we ended up getting Thank a you. a uh what was it a I think it was over a $4 million verdict. Okay. Um, and Which is hard to come by. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, in, in Massachusetts, we tend to be a little more careful with our money, if you know what I yeah. mean. And so, but this was a very sad, tragic case, and, mm. and it involved a, um, a woman who died um, several hours after giving birth from bleeding to death, sadly. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, her story was one of a very uh, impressive, classic, successful immigrant story. She came here from Haiti didn't speak mm -hmm. a word of English when she was a young teenager and she taught herself English, went to college, did extremely well, got a job, had three kids with her first husband. Um, they got divorced and so she ended up getting to a relationship with another guy and she had a fourth child. She gave birth to that fourth child, child born perfectly healthy, life is good. Mm. Um, her family, very uh, extended Haitian family outside waiting for this great news but then starts to get the sense that something's wrong because they won't let her see her. The thing that's wrong is that she starts bleeding internally. This is something that is hard to detect from the mother's perspective, but nonetheless something that is sadly the most common cause of death of uh, new mothers in this country, that being postpartum hemorrhage. Mm. So she's bleeding, and no one's doing anything about it. What hospital are we at? South Shore Hospital. Okay. And, yeah, and... Uh, the doctors are, and nurses are sort of thinking that it's not that significant. I mean, they're not ignoring the bleeding. They're writing about the bleeding in the record. They're, at one point, they write gushes of blood. Mm. But no one's giving her a transfusion, right? A blood mm -hmm. transfusion that would make sense. Except it's not being given to her because they're underappreciating how severely she's bleeding because a lot of this is happening internally where you can't see it yeah. inside her uterus, okay? Mm. Um, so we're getting too deep in the weeds on this. Um, the defense was that she died from something 
called AFE. I won't get into that, but it's an extremely rare event. Some, one thing that is uh, unpreventable, untreatable, unpredictable. And so mm. they latched onto that diagnosis, pushing that, saying that's what caused her death, something unpredictable. We were saying the cause of her death was the most common cause of death of newborn of new mothers in this country, mm. postpartum hemorrhage. It should have known. Yeah. Three-week trial, jury out for about a week and a half, finally came back with a verdict. That, the reason that was the most rewarding, it wasn't the biggest result we've got, but it maybe was the most rewarding for this reason. Each of those children is going to be taken care of financially for the rest of their lives. And mm. this, they can't get their mother back. I mean, that's irreplaceable. And the tragedy there is something that's going to stick with them for the rest of their lives. But this Do you happen to know is dad, so dad, dad is divorced from at least the dad of the right. first three. Right. There's a new dad, I guess. Do you know who's raising the kids? I'm just yeah. curious. Yeah, I mean, the, the new father is, is raising that He's fourth raising child. But the other three children, now actually grown up, this happened a while ago, okay. um, are um, the, the, the divorced father was very invested, wonderful man, very okay. invested in the children. Okay. So, um, But, you know, that was an example where we had um, an uphill battle, but we fought hard. And I had a good team in place, and um, fortunately, we were able to get justice and accountability and reasonable compensation for these kids. Do you remember what I, I know? You, you, you probably—I was going to say—I'm sure you don't remember your your closing argument. But <clears throat> good lawyers like Jeff sometimes they're imprinted on their brain. I'm not going to make you do the whole thing, but do, <laughs> do you remember even a line from your closing argument? Something that sort of spoke to your theory of the case? I do remember. The, you know, you, 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 the emotions sort of kind of cloud your memory a little bit, but I do remember making the point that um, the child that she held in her arms, that newborn baby, uh, for five minutes um, will never know what, what it's like to have a, the, a mother hold him, to have her hug oh, him, boy. to Oof. be there. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's I know. Good. <laughs> I'd be there good. like after and it's school. Like, and it's like, just, you know, get your tissues out. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was hard to say. I'll be honest with you. It's even hard to say now. It was a pretty emotional trial because, um, you know, we all have mothers. And yeah, of tough. course. And yeah. lest, lest anyone think that lawyers are unduly theatrical, lawyers are placed in moments where they should be theatrical. You know, the, mm. the whole point of, of this is to hear what happened and then determine how to uh, say how to fix it it's never yeah. the the law is never a, i always like to say the law is never a, a panacea yeah you know uh, i can't stand when you know local newspapers or or whomever you know excoriates a judge for you know failing to impose a a huge bail that would have prevented them it's like well why didn't the judge do this and why didn't the judge if the judge and sometimes the answer is because you can't prevent everything you, the, mm -hmm. that's not what the law is supposed to do the law is supposed to do the best it can and the law is like you said is never going to bring back this mom mm -hmm. but um but what you did um you know sets them up that they can i guess you could tell me in your words but um remember her in a, in a, in a positive way i imagine it helps that yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, you develop a close bond with your clients um, during, during trial, especially. And we got very close and very friendly and tight. And we still are. And um, I, people appreciate when you fight for them. Right. Mm -hmm. They need an advocate. They want an advocate and they rely on you. And which is why there's so much pressure trying a case because you I'm, in my world, I don't have to try the perfect case, but I have to try the near perfect case. There's very little room for error or mistake mm -hmm. because a jury you can lose all your credibility by misstating one piece of evidence. So you, so you have to be so careful about what you do and you constantly feel the eyes of the family sitting in the, the gallery behind you, looking at you. 
They feel everything. And not everything goes right, David. Sometimes a cross-examination goes beautifully and you're kicking ass and the expert on the other side is just fumbling and they don't know what to do and you're just scoring point after point. But it's going to happen in every trial that you're going to start losing points. You're trying to get at an expert, but the expert's just too damn smart. They're from Harvard and they know everything about this area of law and you're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. So you get into this battle and you're like, I'm losing this battle and you know you're losing it. But you know it's not the end of the world. But the people behind you are looking at you thinking, oh my God, this isn't going the way we thought it would. Is this going to cost us our trial? Right. And then I have to go back to them and say, look, in a trial, there's good days and there's bad days. Um, you know, don't get carried away either way. You know, even if you see me kick ass, don't get too carried away because they'll put on their case and their case may go very differently. And so I try to manage their expectations all the way through, which is another part of being a lawyer, honestly, which is being kind of a therapist that people yeah, I imagine. forget. Yeah. Well, people are coming to you at moments where you know they're at their lowest and th- that must be that must be very sobering to mm-hmm. you know be, be the, the these are the people coming to you saying you know can you help um put our lives back together really that i don't think that's a right. that's an exaggeration um when um you said the jury was out for a week and a half right about a week and a half yeah. week and a half so that to me is is amazing because <laughs> first of all People hate jury duty, and yet when I was at Lawyers Weekly, we, we studied this and we did a kind of extensive um, juror feedback survey, and what we found is like 80% to 90% of the people that filled out the survey had positive things to say about the experience. That, And, and the most recurring theme was I couldn't get over the amount of responsibility on my shoulders. What mm-hmm. I was going to do you know, along with the other 11 people in the box. Um, 11, 12, 12, right? Could be, could 12 be angry 12, men. 12 and okay. 14, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, is going to affect, you know, people's lives for the rest of their life. And and so, with a, and but you don't know, right? Like, did, did you get to speak to any of the jurors after this case? So I'm glad you mentioned that, because yeah. yes, we did, which oh, was cool. great. Yeah. And there was this one woman um, in the jury box who... Um, now, I need to tell you, you're a lawyer, and so you're pounding your fist on the table. And our podcast <laughs> listeners, if you're wondering what that sound is, I'm not even going to tell you to stop doing it. I'm just telling I'm you what the sound Very is. impassioned. Very impassioned kind of he guy. He is. He is, yeah. So she sat there yeah. with their arms crossed like this. This is very helpful to your podcast listeners, right? Um, no, we get it. Okay. Arms, arms, arms crossed. Akimbo, looking... I think is what we said. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Akimbo? Is that what akimbo means? Alexa, what does akimbo mean? Let's see if she's any more helpful this time. Maybe it's legs Sorry, I'm not sure about that. Alexa, what are you kidding me? Alexa, what does akimbo mean? Alexa. Oh my god, she's terrible. You pissed her off. Oh my god, she's not even answering me. Mm, yeah. I don't know that. She doesn't know. Alexa, go to sleep. All right, sorry. We need to solve this. You'll you'll pardon the me. Uh, yeah, we need to, to solve the uh it's either arms akimbo or legs akimbo. I don't know. This is ruining my momentum. Oh, you know what? It, I know it is. I'm sorry, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> He's totally right. Uh, I got it wrong, but it is a word. Akimbo. A-K-I-M-B-O. Adverb. With hands on the hips and elbow, elbows turned outward. That's what she stood with arms akimbo, frowning at the small boy. Oh. So I wasn't that far All off, right. but I was wrong. You're well, saying arms crossed. I'm going to use that. And folded. And I'm going to okay. somehow use that. In, in All right. This whole show is going okay. akimbo. So All right. <laughs> go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> so she said so she, she looked like a doubting arm. Thomas. Yes. Right. With looking right. very, uh, like, you know, 
no, geez, I'm going to... Stern. Uh, Stern. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. We'll keep yeah. this simple. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I, this woman does not like me. You know? Mm. I mean, I'm already... I go into a courtroom, David. I am the plaintiff's attorney. <laughs> In some people's eyes, I'm an ambulance chaser. Right? You've right. heard that term. Of course. So I go to the plate, two strikes down at the count. I haven't yeah. gotten up to the plate yet. Mm. All right? So... so um, I'm looking at her and I'm like, oh God, she does not like me. I can't focus on her because she'll ruin my mojo. So mm. I'm not really focusing on her. I'm looking at everybody else who, by the way, aren't really revealing much either. But <laughs> this woman is like, I'm sure she just does not like me. So we win the case. Everything's good. And um, we go out to the parking lot. Wait, hold on. Uh, let me stop for a minute there. Because I'm just, this is just kind of sinking yeah. in because I've never tried a jury trial. I did try one case okay. in, in, in housing court when I was a student attorney. And okay. I won and I retired 1-0. and Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, and I'm out. Um, but that must be an amazing dynamic because you do. I've been around lawyers enough to hear like their little tips and and techniques and stuff. Mm-hmm. Everybody has different um, tricks, but but you do want to make eye contact. I take oh, it. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind yeah. of logic. Whether you're doing any kind of public speaking, mm-hmm. and I guess it is a, a pretty comparable to public speaking because I I've done a fair amount of public speaking in my day, uh, and both. Uh, you know, speeches that I thought went very well and some that really eh, didn't really work. And a lot of it is if there's someone in the audience who's looking at you and and nodding, that's like gold. It's it's, it's like it it pumps you up to an extent it probably even shouldn't. But if you're looking around and looking for eye contact and you're kind of not getting anything, you start to, you know, at least me, I'd get a little nervous. Like, maybe I've said something wrong. Maybe I just suck. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, so you got the one stubborn woman, but but go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, I'm thinking, oh, geez. Well, you win the case. She doesn't like me. And so we win the case. We go out in the parking lot and she comes up to us. She goes, can I talk to you guys for a second? It was me and my two associates. Um, you know, Maria Davis and Corey Hale, and she said, sure. So uh, we, she says, you know, I have to tell you that I fought so hard for your case. Mm. She said, um, every day I went home thinking about this mother who died and her mm. four motherless children, and I cried. Wow. I'm like, wow. I never got that. And then she said, um, when we went into the deliberate, there were so many people who didn't get, and this actually also touched on David, uh, a racial disparity. Issue. Well, I was going to ask you: Is this woman yeah. a woman of color or she a white woman? She's she a woman was the of color, like only woman of color on like the jury. The uh, the departed mom. Well, yeah, I mean, Haitian, exactly. obviously, but yes, That's woman correct. of color. Yeah. That's right. And and I t- well, this was Norfolk County, which is predominantly white, and so mm-hmm. you know we knew we were going to get a super diverse jury. We did get this African American woman, and um, she said, "I fought so hard because I had to tell people that." The, the kind of care that some people get is not the same for everybody. And I think she appreciated that, and she educated some of the folks on, and there were some things that came up in trial. I did not play the race card. I was not going to go there in trial. I didn't have any reason to do that. But right. she sort of understood what I think was an undercurrent of the trial, which is that our woman being Haitian was at various points written off as being feisty yeah. when she was after she delivered the baby. She wasn't being feisty, David. What was happening is that there was less blood going to her brain, which was causing her to But that was in the record? Agitated. She was referred to as feisty. Testimony came out. Oh. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> Not a good look. Uh, again. And I, did, yeah. I did nothing with that because I didn't want to touch it. But this woman understood and she helped us. And so, but the whole point of really me saying this is that this is a woman who I thought did not like our case yeah. the whole way through. And here she was our champion. Um, yeah. So you don't really know um, how an audience is, or jury, uh, which is your audience, um, really is reacting. It's not like, you know, I go to a comedy club and if people are laugh, they like your stuff. And if they're not laughing, they hate your stuff. Yeah. You're not getting much feedback. I think they're sort of 
told not to show too much emotion, and they I followed guess so, her. huh? Yeah, because this yeah. woman didn't. She had a quite a poker face. Yeah, and she was the only juror you got to speak to, or no other was? ones, other ones as well. And okay. so it was nice. The judge brought. She said to them, "Now these people have been out of work for four weeks, right? Or away yeah. from their families for four weeks, whatever." And the judge said, "If you want to come back and talk to the uh, attorneys in the courtroom, uh, they would love to talk to you." And so they all came back, all 14 were of them. Your, was your opposing counsel there as well? Yeah. No? They were. Yeah. Okay. Well, one left, one stayed. Because um, so in general, you, you want to learn. Because that's, yeah. that's for years, that was the great unknown. For those that don't know, I presume the rules still exist that you're not allowed to proactively contact a juror after a case. Is that right? Or? Right. And you have to be careful. I mean, they've loosened them up. So okay. the point is you can talk to jurors now, but you can't talk to them about the deliberations. Now, that's very confusing because yeah, right. what are you going to talk about? You right. know, like, did you like my suit? Um, <laughs> right. yeah. So I, I, it's very weird. But um, in any event, uh, you know, jurors will talk to you sometimes and they will kind of give you some clues as to what this is the important stuff, to your point, what works and what doesn't work, what they yeah. liked, what they didn't like. And I had another opportunity to talk to a jury years ago in a case that we won of a young man who died on the basketball court from an undiagnosed heart defect. You hear about this with Len Bias and other people. Reggie Although Lewis. It, Reggie Lewis. Um, his no allegations of drug use in this young man at all. Okay. There was no toxicology screen. He was fine. But he died on the basketball court only 19 years old because his physician failed to order an echocardiogram that she wanted him to have. Sad case. Yeah. So we did win that case. Um, we got to talk to the jury afterwards. And in my closing argument, I had a very small picture of this guy, handsome young man. Mm -hmm. um, I showed it to the jury in the closing. Um, just so they'd have an understanding that I'm speaking on behalf of a real human being. Yeah. But I put it down. I didn't make a big deal about it. And we got to talk to the jurors afterwards, and they were very complimentary because one thing I pride myself on, David, is that, you know, in this case, I tried with Lisa Arrowood, whom you know very well. Sure. And um, they were very complimentary of us. And they said, you know, you guys were wonderful. We loved the way you knew the medicine, and you were so polite and civil, and et cetera, et cetera. And the only critical comment I remember is, this woman, one of the women saying to me, why did you show us that picture? We felt like you were playing on our emotions. And I thought, mm. oh, geez, that's not what I was trying to do. But mm. that educational opportunity helps me because now I'm more sensitive to ever wanting to play on their emotions. I, I want to win the case on the medicine. I don't want to win it based on emotions. Emotions are part of it because mm. that is necessary. You can't try a medical malpractice case involving someone's the death of someone's mother, father, daughter, child without it being emotional. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to, you know, pander to that. And so I was very sensitive to that. And I've I learned. guess, you know, people are wise and they can pick up. And and I take it that would be a delicate thing. I mean, I take it you wanted to present the photo just so people got a picture of what. I mean, you have to humanize it to some degree. Do. But, <clears throat> I mean, I'm sure you didn't do this. But, it, you know, it could. the risk, I guess, is it's perceived exactly as you learned as... And look at this man. He had his whole life ahead of him. Let's look at him again. He's oh. right here. Look at him. Yeah. You know, he's got a name, and his name's <laughs> Kevin. And don't you miss Kevin? I miss him. He could be here right now or whatever. You, you know what's you interesting know. is yep. that you remember John Edwards, right? Of course. Ran for yeah. president, vice president. Yeah. Uh, he didn't had, end well. Didn't end well for no. that guy. He was a big, <laughs> successful trial lawyer down south. That's right, yeah. And I remember reading one of his – now, what you can do in the south – is very different than what you can get away with up here in Massachusetts, right? Mm -hmm. Massachusetts has a very sensitive bullshit meter, okay? People- <laughs> We pride ourselves on yeah, that. Yeah, and I think that's a commendable thing. Um, and not to say anything negative about the South, but there's a different way of presenting a case in the South that you can get away with that you can't get away with up here. And John Edwards famously won a big trial involving the death of some little girl, I think, in a swimming pool. Mm -hmm. And he won millions. Mm -hmm. And his closing argument that I read, I couldn't believe 
that he got away with this. In Massachusetts, the judge would immediately cut you off at the knees and say, you're not going anywhere with this stuff. You know, you're not, I'm not going to allow it. His closing argument, he got to talk to the jury as if the child was speaking through him. Oh, no. As if that little <laughs> child had Im- sort of embodied him and sort of you know, allowed him to uh, speak with her voice. And that worked. Um, yeah. You could never get away with that up here. Even if the judge let you get away with it, the jury up here would say, nah, no, we're not, don't do that. Sounds like uh, visions of Matthew McConaughey in A View to Kill down south there in mm. Memf- Memphis. Is that where all the, the Grissom books came out of? Yeah. Imagine that little girl walking down that road, <laughs> whole life ahead of her. Someone comes up and grabs her. Want you to picture that girl. Get it. Ooh, all right, good. all right, all right. Now I want you to come back with uh, lots of damages for my client. Thank you. Hey, that's pretty good. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think I was doing the Matthew McConaughey dazed and confused uh, character. You get somehow, with Matthew McConaughey. He's, a lot. Do people confuse you with him? <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, something different happens all the time, more often than you'd know. Uh, we're going to, uh, as promised, talk up, give you a couple tips on things you should be watching and listening to. Jeff, could you stick around for maybe five or ten more minutes mm-hmm. if you can, sure. my friend. Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have a choice. Lock the doors. <laughs> Cannot leave our studios here. But I do want to tell you about the U.S. Postal Service. Proud sponsor of, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know how proud they are, but I'm going to presume they're pretty proud sponsor of the Boston Podcast. The second largest employer in the United States, offering paid training and ways to move up. Apply today, usps.com slash careers. From mail carriers to corporate management, the USPS works together to provide efficient, affordable service to the American public. The workers are the backbone of its service, and the USPS wants to develop and advance careers. So its development programs train and prepare employees for promotions and growth in a variety of business areas. Everything you need to know is at the website, usps.com slash careers. You know something, Jeff, it is the policy of the Postal Service to provide equal employment opportunity and prevent employment discrimination. I'll tell you, my friend, the Postal Service seeks to attract and retain a diverse workforce in which employees respect and value each other's differences in work to promote collaboration, flexibility, and fairness. All right, all right. So that all employees are able to participate and contribute to their full potential. Apply today. The website, once again, usps.com slash careers, the United States Postal Service, deliver for the nation. All right. I see a future of you selling <laughs> Buicks or something. Is that my, isn't he McConaughey's? Oh, uh, Lincoln, Lincoln. Lincoln, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm you could sub in for him if he decides to. Just sitting here in this Lincoln thinking about how great this Lincoln <laughs> is. And when I'm done, I'm going to have some Jim Bean. Do you think he drives a Lincoln? I really doubt it. I don't. I, although I think he might drink Jim Beam. I don't know. He had a whole thing where they he he was hired as like the, um, I'm gonna make this up like vice president of promotion, president of promotions for Jim Beam, probably for like ten minutes, so he mm. could come in and sample a few, ver- new versions of bourbon and say, yeah, I like that one. Mm. Put my name on that one. <laughs> and where's my check? Um, I like Matthew McConaughey. He's oh, yeah. all right. He's all right. We need Matthew McConaughey. He, he has a he has a, a place in in popular culture that cannot be replaced. There's only yeah. one of me. Oh, Dallas Buyers Club, right? He gave Dallas it, Buyers gave Club. it up for that. Man. Fantastic. He lost, he, all that weight. He looked. Yeah, and then True Detective. I didn't see that. Oh my God! Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, time time is a is it? Oh, I forget what he says. Wait, hold on. I think I have it right here. Time is a vicious circle. Time is an endless circle. Time is a time is a. I don't remember. Anyway, and now I can't find it. Damn it! We're going to Kimbo yeah. again. Instead, I just tried to pull up a quote from Anchorman because it's, uh, it's just as good. <laughs> um, well, how about this? 
Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Well, it's a good quote. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. All right. So, but what uh, the Except you broke uh, our concentration? Ha- so. I did. I did. So I guess it was appropriate. Yeah. Thank you. See, it all com- comes around. But we are going to. We are going to let you know some stuff you should be binging, listening to, or whatever in this segment that we call Good Stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. On my resume, it's under skills and uh, talents, it says making shit up, Jeff. Uh, you can, you're free to use that, by the way. Okay. Uh, or flying by the seat of one's pants. Right, mm-hmm. um, it, you should know that as Charlor. You have to. You have to be opportunistic, right? You have mm. to roll with the punches. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So, it, and you're staring at me blankly, like, "Why?" <laughs> I'm saying that's what I'm doing on this podcast, and you're going, "No, you're not. No, you're not." That would be nice if you did. So, um, okay. So, so we were just talking about what podcast we dig, and you mentioned uh, Conan O'Brien needs a friend, mm-hmm. and we're going to listen to a little clip of what this podcast sounds like, and then we're going to talk about it. <laughs> Hi, my name is Pete Holmes, and I feel frustrated, but honored to be Conan O'Brien's friend. Yeah! <laughs> so that's his theme song. It's bothering me. This that that song was featured in some movie. I want to say I like know. Juno or something, but. Huh. Anyway, we'll listen to a tiny bit more, and then, and then we'll talk I about think it's it. by Whitesnake or something, which makes no sense, right? Really? Or something like that. All right, we'll have to look that up. I'm yeah. not going to ask hey Alexa. Welcome She's to been Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. It's pretty simple. This is the show where I, Conan O'Brien, uh, talk to people in the business, uh, celebrities I've interviewed over the years, and try and find out, is it possible we could be real friends, not just fake showbiz pals? He says now this I'm every show, I'm aided in my right? quest by my assistant, for now, Sona Movsesian. Hello. Come on, Sona. You know you're with me for the long haul. Yeah, but it's hard to really believe that when you constantly keep talking about how my time's limited. You say I, that often. I like to dangle that because I think that will inspire you to greater heights. Do you think it's working? No, it is not. No. <laughs> so that was a good line. Um, and then he goes on and he talks to Pete Holmes, of course, who's um, the comedian from Boston, yeah. as a matter of fact. Love Pete Holmes. It's great. Um, and but tell me what by the way we might, as, we might as well close the loop on this you were close not white snake white stripes, stripes. but but equally as unlikely um, yeah. I never I did not know that what that's Jack White singing that hmm. and in popular culture oh I now I remember what movie it's from hmm. um, I would do a line from it but I'll murder it uh, Napoleon Dynamite oh yeah. classic movie right and it's got that kind of weird kind of offbeat feel that appropriate for that um, when, I don't know song. when that came I lo- I've seen that movie like 10 times I don't know when that song is yeah I don't I don't know either anyway, but anyway good stuff uh, so yeah why do you like the Conan pod you know I like it for a couple reasons number one um, it's hilarious uh, number mm-hmm. two um, they sort of talk about things that I can relate to right I mean mm-hmm. if you listen to it enough Conan reveals a lot about himself and Comedians and trial are very different people, but at the same time, you know, we're really dependent upon other people, the audience, right, yeah. to um, sort of keep us in business, if yeah. you will. And some things sell and some things don't. So when I hear Conan talk about the times when, and his guests also talk about times mm-hmm. when um, they just fall flat, you know, at a, yeah. at a comedy club and no one's laughing and yeah. they're just staring blankly. Um, I can relate to that. You know, there's sometimes when, 
you're you're doing a closing argument and you just know it's not you're not connecting yeah. you know, you're not clicking and so you have to improvise on the spot and figure it out and say okay how do i how do i kind of get this jury back you know yeah. how do i bring him back into the fold here and you know so you have to sort of think fast on your feet mm-hmm. you know the rhetorical question is always good by the way you know um and ask yourself what you would have done in this kind of situation and all of a sudden they they feel like they're in class and they're being asked a question like oh i gotta start paying attention now that but, but then you answer the question sort of yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so okay. there's ways to kind of bring it back in but you know the, the, the one i like is, is that i don't i don't try cases but i do yeah. speak uh the pause is powerful like if you're talking to mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of people and yeah before you know it like um you know, a quarter of the room looks like they're zoning out, and ten percent of the room is actually looking at their phones. <laughs> and if, if you if yeah. you pause, if you say like, you know, whatever you're saying, and here's another thing I want to talk to you about. Okay, and you just stand there. Oh, you don't like that? No, I like this a lot. Okay. In fact, you've yeah. just given me an opportunity to sound a whole lot smarter than I am because oh, yeah. Mark. One of my favorite quotes is from Mark Twain, who said, uh, "No word is as effective as a well-timed pause." Mm. And I just taught a course on trial advocacy last week, and I had people giving me their closing arguments, and I would critique them afterwards. And I used that exact quote. So to your point, David, mm. 100% right. And people don't appreciate the pause. Mm-hmm. That was a compelling. Good one. That was a good compelling. one. Yeah, you won, by the way. I couldn't. I couldn't hold it. I couldn't hold it. It's hard, and that and that demonstrates because people are uncomfortable with pauses, yeah. but used used in the right way. It wakes people up. I, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but I'll tell it again because it's worthwhile. Uh, I used to work for the financial firm Alliance Bernstein, and the Grand Poobah CEO was Peter Krause at the time, just really big shot in the industry, like he was on the cover of financial magazines and things like that. He would come, he was, uh, you know, he uh, stationed at the headquarters in New York, but he would come to Boston. And, uh, you know, my boss would say, hey, Peter Krause is coming to town. If you've got any big shots, you're trying to impress bring him in to meet with Peter Krause. So I had this guy that I was working with that I was trying to land as a client, and he was like a serial entrepreneur and a real wheeler-dealer guy. And he knew who Peter Krause was, and so I bring him in to meet with Peter Krause. And this is a, this is a confident guy I'm bringing in. And Peter Krause does this thing, and, and he, he had this pause that was like a Jedi mind trick. And I don't even remember what he was saying at the time, but he said, and so, therefore, the innovative thing we're doing with bonds are, you know, X, Y, Z, and we've been successful with that. And then he would just kind of leave it there. Like, not not a natural spot, like, let the other person to talk. Almost an unnatural kind of, like, he was about to say something else. And then he just paused and looked right at the guy. <laughs> and, the, and it was like a Jedi mind trick because the guy all of a sudden was got a little flustered and like offered up all this information that he might not have he he, he said well yeah yeah and I, I, you know, i've had success in my portfolio and but 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 you must have done like and and all of a sudden mm. not that it was a negotiation or he was looking to like grab power but he kind of did in that moment yeah yeah it's so. it's about you know you know where the pause is not effective where talking to your teenage kids oh <laughs> why because they just leave yeah they'll just leave <laughs> to sleep you're expecting them to be like caught up in the moment they're like you're not giving me anything more i'm just gonna look at my phone now so. <laughs> you pause it's like good more time for me to look down oh, good, send you, out a couple uh instagram oh, good you posts. shut up good yeah okay. exactly all right so um kind of up against the clock but you mentioned the um uh which which episodes just before we go which episodes of conan did you like because i love that podcast as well uh so bob newhart right the newhart one was revealing great. my age here but you know yeah. you watched the newhart show right and sure bob both of them so those were cool um he was what's he 90 and he was so yeah he was giving it to conan oh he was sharp yeah yeah he was great um lisa kudrow 
Did they have a nice? Very, I haven't. I haven't listened to that one yet, but that's cool. It's a I, sweet friendship. Yeah, you know? yeah. and um, and so. Yeah, those those kind of appeal to me, and I thought that uh, you know he's had some people with a really sharp wit, like you, David, very yeah. sharp wit. You should be his guest. You'd, you'd be the, fantastic. Uh, thank you. We're working on that. Okay. These people haven't gotten back to me, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I love it too. And it's not it's not like he he. The only thing that's a little weird about it is he describes the podcast format like a wide-eyed kid who just discovered it. And like, mm. uh, you know, and he did have Mark Maron as one of his first guests. Mm. I didn't listen to that one yet, but Mark Maron started, basically was a pioneer of this format like 10 years ago. And he had, in like, and like five years ago, he had Obama on his podcast and Conan's yeah. going, this format's great because you get to talk to people and make them your friend. And it's like, yeah, but as it happens, he's doing it well. And, mm-hmm. and he's got really good people um, Howard Stern was one. Was one recently I heard he that t- one? Yeah, yeah and good. Yeah, very good. And I'm not even a Stern fan, but it was very. Mm, it, was, right. it was interesting. You know, obviously you got time to get into, as you said, uh, both Conan and the guest get into their insecurities. Yep. It's it, uh, sometimes I, I, I think comedians and other super famous people are kind of fibbing when they say, "Oh, I'm always petrified when I go up on stage." But the more I hear, it's like, no, that's part of their yeah. very being. Is they need. They need, um, you know, approval. They need they need an audience, and they and they secretly fear failure all the time, <laughs> like then, a lot of us, you know. Yeah, and, and he's not afraid to talk about his depression. And right. I think Conan O'Brien, depression. What he went to Harvard, yeah, big show, million millionaire, right. married kids. Yeah, you know, it just goes to show you. I, I think everybody goes through depression, and I will say not to bring it back to my practice, but I will bring it back to my practice. Sure, good. Um, you know, I deal with a lot of tragedy. Right? Everybody comes to me with something horrible, and mm. I, I have to process that and deal with it and use it but i can't internalize it too much otherwise it'll bring me down completely yeah. but if i don't internalize it a little bit you can get compassion fatigue which is what you doctors suffer from where they see tragedy too much and they fail to appreciate how that really affects their patients and i don't want to get that way yeah then they go out and they yeah. they tell the uh wife eh, your husband yeah. uh, needs triple bypass we're gonna have to crack his uh, chest open yeah um, or, or sorry we had a complication uh we're doing the best we can but i'm not sure he's gonna make it i mean yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah so yeah. you have to be but you know anyway the conan o'brien show is good because it does uh reveal that no matter how wealthy and successful you are people go through their oh yeah time tough times you know yep. depression and it's everybody, all of us. You know, you have your ruts from time to time. You got to stay positive, but it's uh, it's a tough world out there. And One, yeah, you know, for sure. Yeah. Strong. One of my favorite. Uh, I'll give you two quotes. One, I was I just realized Norman Lear was on a podcast with Adam Carolla, and it was just a long ranging interview. Norman Lear, of course, who's now he's in his nineties. Mm. He's been around forever. He created All in the Family and Charlie's Angels and a whole bunch of other terrific shows, and. Um, I just remember him saying, like, he, he still struggles with, like, having his down days when he's 90. I mean, when you're 90, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just hard to get out of bed. But, mm, but, yeah. but he, said, he said something very simple. He says, you know, Adam, it's, it's a hard thing being a human being. Mm, and that's, that's like, the simplest statement there is, but it's, but it's true. That's and good. then the other quote that comes to mind, which I don't know who said it, but I'll uh, repeat it anyway, is, um, you know, it goes something like this. It, it, the problem with life is that... Um, People who aren't very intelligent have very few doubts, and people that are intelligent have many of them. Mm. And it's and and it's the curse of being someone like you said yourself, Jeff. You're successful, obviously. You're, you're um, and there you are, you know, in representing clients in these big stakes uh, lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it takes a lot of a combination of skills to do that. And as a result, you, you, you're, a, you're a complex dude. And mm -hmm. as such, it's impossible to always see everything as bright and shiny because you're smart and you're going to see you're going to see the possible pitfalls as well yeah. and you're going to wrestle with that i mean the only person who saw everything bright and shiny was of course the famous baron park right? so, <laughs> <laughs> look what happened to him wow so. hey jeez the comedy on this guy as well as being a great lawyer did i, did I overdo uh, it that's did I go got, no it's great that's what we call a callback <laughs> in the industry the callback to the oh, baron good. park it's gotcha. excellent okay. excellent by the way Jeff, Jeff Catalano uh, over at Todd and Weld. You can find uh, all the info and handsome pictures of Jeff at toddweld.com. Just toddweld.com. Typical D's. spelling. Two Ds on Todd. <laughs> T-O-D-D-W-E-L-D.com. And, um, you know, check out uh, Jeff. And he's a great guy to know. He's a great guy to grab coffee with. Go ahead. Just uh, assault his inbox. And um, <laughs> we'll, we'll have fun. We'll see what happens. But uh, I hope you had fun, Jeff. I had a blast. Great. Cool. This was great. Cool. We will we will have you back. Um, All right. We, by the time we both finish the Conan O'Brien Library, we'll come back and talk what we love. And um, by then, you'll have won uh, a zillion more cases and more stories to tell us, <laughs> of sure. course. Um, so I'd also like to thank our sponsors, of course, United States Postal Service. Apply for a job today, usps.com slash careers. If you dig this podcast, uh Please share it with a friend or a colleague. Spread the mojo. Spread the good juju. Go to pod617.com. If you're interested in your own podcast, you could be the next podcast star. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, you may not have the mellifluous tones of a Jeff Catalano or a Dave Yaz, but uh, we're going to work on it uh, with you. And so come on in. Visit us here at our humble Westwood Studios. I mean, our palatial Westwood <laughs> Studios. On behalf of Jeff Catalano, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston... You must be the other guy. Enjoy your day, everybody. <laughs> you must be the other guy.